Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Buddhang Saranang Gachami Dhammang Saranang Gachami Sangang Saranangachami Dutiampi Buddhang Saranangachami Dutiampi Dhammang Saranang Gachami Dutiampi Sangang Saranang Gachami Tatiampi Buddhang Saranang Gachami Tatiampi Dhammang Saranang Gachami Tatiampi Sangang Saranang Gachami Panchasila, the five precepts, repeat after me. Panatipata Viramani Sikha Padam Samadhyami I undertake the precept. I undertake the precept to abstain from killing. Adina dana viramani sikapadam samadhyami. I undertake the precept. To abstain from stealing. Kame su michachara viramani sikapadam samadhyami. I undertake the precept to abstain from sexual misconduct. Musawada Viramani 
Sikapadam Samadhyami I undertake the precept to abstain from lying. Sura Meraya Majapamadatana Viramani Sikapadam Samadhyami I undertake the precept to abstain from alcohol and intoxicants that douse the mind. Good evening, brothers and sisters. How are you all today? Very happy to be here at Mangala uh, Vihara. Uh, so early on, one of the sisters asked me uh, whether I've been here before. So as I recall, uh, this is not the first time I'm here. Uh, but the, the, the last time I was here, if I don't recall wrongly, was way back when I was uh, a lay person, when I was in university. Uh, was it in university? Around that time. Yeah, that was many, many years back. Yeah, so very happy to be here. Uh, the, through the invitation from the committee, uh, one of the students from the Singapore Buddhist Federation, who is also active here, uh, Jepson. Jepson? Uh, so uh, he mentioned to me, oh, can you all hear me from behind? <laughs> Okay, let me try to adjust my mic. Yeah, is this better? Okay. Yeah. Huh? Some cars are blocking. Sorry, I have to interrupt. Uh, I think there are some cars uh, who park at the car park uh, below our uh, basement. Some of your cars is blocking other cars. So can you please, uh, when I pass this paper, whoever uh, your car is blocking someone else, you write your car number and your telephone so anybody who has been blocked, they can call you. Okay? Anyone, uh, don't be shy. Uh, no? uh, just let me know who are the cars that, that is blocking other cars. Thank you. So that was uh, some months back when uh, Jepson uh, d gave me the invite and here we are. Uh, in fact, I think it was maybe half a year ago, Yeah, because now it's already April. It was shortly after the BPC, uh, there was the conference, yeah? were you all at the conference? How many of you, yeah, the sy symposium? How many of you were at that symposium? A handful of you? Yeah, so today is a rerun actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I was a bit hesitant because I wonder whether uh, most of you have seen the slides. Yeah. Uh, I was told that the, the team would like me to do a rerun of the 
the sharing I gave on that day. So, but I was a bit apprehensive because uh, I was thinking, uh, would you all be okay with, with a rerun? Have you all, were you all at the symposium? How many of you have not seen these slides before? Oh, most of you haven't seen the slide before. Okay. Okay, so this is actually from the symposium. Yeah. So try to imagine yourself at a symposium, okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I'll be adding on some things today because we have uh, more time to flesh it out. Yeah, so the topic uh, for today is Dharma learning and application in our life. Um, a show of hands, how many of you are currently in the uh, Dharma classes here? Okay. And how many of you would say that you have been learning Dharma for many years? Wow. Very good. Because usually when I ask this question, nobody dare to raise their hand, you know? Yeah. Today's, today's uh, audience is quite good. Some of you actually raise your hand. So let's do a gauge, okay? I need to do a gauge because I'm not like the Buddha. Yeah, the Buddha has clairvoyance. So just observe the, the crowd. Immediately can read your mind and know where you are, you know? Yeah. So uh, how many of you have been uh, a Buddhist and have been learning Dharma for the past maybe five years? Yeah, five years and below? Five years and below? Okay, five to ten years, ten to twenty years, twenty plus plus years. Wow, I see. Yeah, so uh, before we go into this topic, uh, it's important to know perhaps why this topic is uh, relevant. Yeah. Uh, if we have been a Buddhist for a number of years, uh, is there a difference? Yeah, I want you all to just think about this question. Yeah, uh, is there a difference in my life uh, from the point when I was not a Buddhist to the point when I am a Buddhist until today? Yeah, is there a difference? What kind of difference is there? Yeah, so this is the, 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 the difference that we want to look at. Okay? Uh, so I'm sure there's a difference. Uh, but I want today to be something that you don't just listen, laugh, and then go back and forget about it. Nah. Yeah, so I want you to take out a piece of paper. Yeah? You can use your handphone also. Yeah, the one talk that you are encouraged to take out your handphone. Hmm. And I want you to write down uh, three things that um, you know bug you. Yeah. What are three things that uh, sort of uh, ruffle your day? Yeah. Like let's say today is uh, like today is Monday. Yeah. Everything is going fine. Then maybe tomorrow when you go to work, tomorrow when you when your family member come back and there was an exchange. And then it makes you feel a bit like, ah, yeah. It may be something very important, something big, yeah. Maybe the response is big, or maybe the response is small, 
Okay? Yeah, it doesn't matter. But I want you to just very quickly run through and think about the past maybe three weeks or four weeks. Yeah? And just write down three things that has uh, gotten to you. Okay? Yeah, and then you just write down in point form the circumstances perhaps. Yeah? Was it at home? Was it at work? Yeah? Was it with your friends, your family, yeah, or your colleagues? And then, uh, what was the matter itself? Yeah? And lastly, uh, what was your response to it? What was your response to it? Okay, I'll give you all some time and then you can write that down. So I'm writing it up there so that it's easier for you to reference. So three things that get to us in the past maybe three to four weeks. The circumstances. And the so where who what happened and how did you respond? Okay. Okay, I'll give you one more minute. Uh, this place is very good. There's a clock up there. So I can see the time going past. You know the Buddha keep on reminding the monks, right? Sabbe, Sankara, Anichati. All formations are impermanent. That's the time going past. Okay, five more seconds. I was thinking maybe we could lower the volume a bit. I will just like bring my bring the mic closer to my mouth. Yeah, otherwise there's a lot of feedback. Okay, so can you all hear me from behind? Is this okay? Okay, so I will just keep it very close. 
So I hope you all have written down because uh, uh, many times, many times when we go for classes, we attend talks, uh, we feel inspired. Yeah? But many places, whenever they invite venerables to give talks, we often ask, Shifu, yeah, Bhante, Venerable, can you all um, help us you know, illustrate how we can apply the Dharma in our life? You see, the thing is, no matter how many examples the Venerable were to give, uh, we cannot possibly cover all cases. Yeah. And even if we manage to cover all the cases for everyone here, tomorrow you might encounter something new. Yeah. So what better way to perhaps get you, all of us to do a, an introspection? Yeah. So this is an exercise that I gave to students in many classes. Yeah, at the start of the series, whether it's a one-day talk or uh, a series of classes, yeah, I'll ask them to do this exercise. And over the course of the classes, to ask them to repeatedly come back to these three things. Yeah? To come back to these three things for what? To come back to it and to ask ourselves this question, the topic that we have learned today, yeah, how does that apply to my problem. Yeah? No point telling you about first jhana, second jhana, third jhana, fourth jhana. Yeah? If the, the current situation you are facing is not about whether you can get jhana or not. Yeah? If currently your schedule is so busy, so tight, you don't even have time to like, um, do one minute of meditation, then what for tell you about jhana? Yeah? It becomes just knowledge, yeah, which is good also, yeah, but not so directly applicable. Agree? Yeah. So um, keep that, uh, the three things on the table with you. And then as we go, I want you to just ask yourself yeah, along the way, okay, how, how can we use it? So you notice I wrote down a couple of things like the circumstances, where, who, what, how. Yeah, so the topic... Yeah, um, when I covered this at the symposium, I used the uh, standard essay writing f formula. Yeah, in secondary school, when we we formally learn how to write an essay, yeah, the five W and one H: who, what, when, where, why, how. Yeah, are you all familiar with this? Yeah, uh, all Singaporeans should be quite familiar. Huh? This is a standard model. Yeah, so. Uh, we're going to look at the who, what, why, when, where, why, how uh, about the Dharma. Okay? Hmm. So first of all, I'm going to go into the why. Yeah, I will go into the why first. Um, although the, the, the usual template starts off with who, and then what, when, where, and so on, um, the why is very important. Yeah? The why is very important. Why is it important? Why is the why important? Do you know? Huh? Why is the why important? Uh, it's the cost. Yeah? It gives us the cost, the reasons, the justification. Yeah? Why? Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, we start off something um, considering more on the how, considering more on the what than the why. Yeah. 
many times when we are in the discussion with others, uh, when the reply is no, the, the person will usually say, oh, we can't do this uh, because it's too expensive. Yeah? We tell our children, uh, you cannot buy this because it's too expensive. Yeah? We tell our children, you cannot buy this because uh, uh, mommy or daddy, yeah, the, the money belongs to mommy, daddy. Yeah? I decide can or cannot. Yeah? But we sometimes forget to touch on the why. Why cannot? Yeah? Do your children ask you why cannot? How many of you have children? Oh, but maybe your children is already very old, huh? Yeah. Maybe your children, well, well when I say your children is very old, then you all feel a bit hurt, huh? <laughs> Sifu, if you, my children is very old, then I'm lucky, lucky old, huh? Yeah. Uh, maybe your children is already an adult. Maybe your children already have children. Yeah, maybe you already have grandchildren. And then you ask yourself, what do we say to our grandchildren? So, the why. Why did the Buddha teach? Yeah, there are many whys we can ask. Yeah? Why did the Buddha teach? Uh, if we consider the life of the Buddha, yeah, uh, because this is the part of the BPC, uh, so I'm sure you all went through the life of the Buddha. Are you all familiar with the life of the Buddha? Of course, I think some of you are also teaching at the, at the Dharma classes. Uh. So as you recall, uh, where was the Buddha born? Huh? Where? What? Singapore? <laughs> where? Where, is, where was he born? Lumbini. Yeah. Where is Lumbini today? Nepal. Yeah. So sometimes online you can hear people have a discussion on whether he was an Indian prince or was he a Nepalese prince? Yeah. Uh, was he a ne Nepalese prince or Indian prince? Yeah. Actually, back then, there was no Nepal. Back then, there was no India also. Yeah. Back then, there was 16 states. Yeah. Uh, from the suttas in the Nikayas, we can see the description of the 16 states. Yeah. We have Vaisali, we have Kosala, we have many of the big major cities yeah, and states, Magadha. Yeah. The Buddha was born in Lumbini. Yeah, his, his father's, uh, uh, what do you call that, the, the home state is Kapilavastu, yeah, the capital. And then uh, we know that he was born into this uh, family, yeah, in a way like royalty. Yeah. Um, so then why did the Buddha teach? At the first place, we have to go back to why he left the home. Yeah. Now, as we explore this, you may wonder, why must we know why the Buddha teach? Yeah. Sifu, why don't you just tell me how to practice? Yeah. Tell me, how many, what are the, how to observe the precepts? Yeah. Just now, when you all recited the Panchasila, you all know, right? That's the five precepts. Yeah. Uh, sometimes when we come into Buddhism, we go straight into the practice. Yeah, uh, we go to a temple, and then the temple, the volunteers are very kind. Yeah, the, the 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 students there, they will tell us this you can do, this you cannot do. 
Yeah? Yeah, tell us about the do's and don'ts, the regulation. Yeah? Uh, that is good. Uh, but if we look at the way the Buddha teach, yeah? uh, does he teach in that way? Mm. He usually go into our mindset first. Yeah? And that's why if you look at the Noble Eightfold Path, which we will cover later, yeah, it starts off with what? Right view. Yeah? The Noble Eightfold Path starts with right view. Many times when the Buddha encounters individuals, uh, he don't go straight into the precepts. Yeah. He actually talks to them. In a way like having a chit-chat, you know. Yeah. Many of the suttas, if you look at it, it's just chit-chat. Yeah. The, the, the individuals come to see the Buddha, talk to the Buddha, then the Buddha just talk to them. Yeah. And in the process, the person discovers something about themselves, something about their questions that they have. Yeah. In a way, you can say that that is the reason why the Buddha teach, to answer people's question. But why answer people's question? Ultimately, it is to help them relieve themselves of suffering, whether it's short-term suffering or long-term suffering. Yeah? So it is out of compassion. If we look at the, the, the suttas, the Buddha left the palace out of compassion. He first saw the first three sights, aging, sickness, and death. Yeah? And he was appalled by the amount of suffering that everybody is going through. Yeah? Have you all seen aging, sickness, and death? Yes. Huh? Do you all feel appalled by it? No. Huh? Why no? Uh, because nowadays we have SK2. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, the fact that there's SK2 only proves that there is still aging. Yeah? If there's no more aging, then there's no need for SK2. Yeah? Uh, aging, maybe we can, we can temper the, the effects of aging. Yeah, we can mitigate the effects of aging. But aging is still there. Yeah? I remember my senior uh, back in the US, he, told, he shared with us about how he was already 50. I was only early 30s. And so he told me, um, regardless of whatever amazing food is being prepared, to him, not much difference. Yeah, his senses is starting to become dull. Yeah. So aging. The Buddha was young when he, he first saw that. Yeah, and it was such a shock for him. Yeah. When we learn about this part of the Buddha's life, now we can ask ourselves, so what? Mm. Ah. Sometimes when we learn about this part of the Buddha's life, it becomes like just story, you know, story tale, you know, yeah. Like a few one more month later, yeah, Vesak uh, Day is coming. Then all over Singapore, in all the temples, ah, life of the Buddha. Yeah, we we dig up all the VCD, DVD, yeah, to play, yeah. Uh, and then we, all the uh, Sunday school, Dharma kids, Dharma uh, class, all the children will perform uh, Life of the Buddha. Yeah? Every year the Buddha is born again. <laughs> yeah? uh, for what purpose? Actually to remind us of something very important. Yeah? When we see this, this, uh, the four sights, it's actually a reminder yeah, to ourselves. Although we see it so often, um, does it impact us? And then we compare ourselves with the Buddha. For the Buddha, the Buddha just said once. Enough. Yeah? One time, oh, shock. Maybe that's the problem, you know. 
we, we see it every day. Yeah? As a result, we just become numb to it. Yeah, we become oblivious to it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but good at to serve as a reminder. Aging, sickness and death. Yeah. Then he saw the fourth sight, he saw an ascetic, and it inspired him. That was not a Buddhist monk because there was no Buddha yet. Yeah. He's going to become the Buddha, there's no Buddha yet. So that was just another ascetic among the different practitioners in India back in those days. There was two main groups, the Brahmins and the ascetics, yeah, the Samanas, Pabaja. So they would practice away from home, yeah, live in the forest, in the, in the countryside, yeah, in the charnel ground, under the tree, anywhere that is available to them. He practiced with, he saw that and it inspired him to take the first step. Yeah. Do we have this opportunity to see this? In many ways, we live the life like Prince Siddhartha, you know? Yeah. Everywhere we go, when we, like, the, my favorite example is SQ. You know, SQ? When you take SQ flight, when you go into the plane, you're like Prince Siddhartha. Yeah? Uh, all the air stewardess are all young, yeah? All doll up. Men and women, all perfect. Yeah? Ever seen any OS stewardess before? Sing SQ, seldom. Yeah, very few. Yeah? I think I've never encountered before. If you take United Airlines, very common. <laughs> yeah? uh, so, in many ways, in Singapore, we are treated like Prince Siddhartha, you know? Even our houses. Yeah, Singapore, the building code, every don't know, five or ten years, you must. What must you do? You must do painting. Yeah. So we are constantly renewing the facade to hide it from us, you know. Yeah. So in many ways, Singaporeans or anyone who is in Singapore, we are living our life like Prince Siddhartha. Yeah. So once in a while, good to remind ourselves yeah, the reality of life. And if we were to see it, then perhaps it may evoke that sense of renunciation as it did for the Buddha. But for the Buddha, it was not simply renunciation. Yeah, because if we look at the Sutta, his ex the exchange between Prince Siddhartha and Chanda, yeah, his attendant, it was not simply about him suffering. Yeah, there was the question, you mean you will grow old, fall sick and die as well? You mean our parents? No? Or everybody in the in the town in the city, yeah, he's he was concerned about everybody else as well, yeah. So one could perhaps say that when the Buddha um, saw that suffering, there was that sense of renunciation, but ultimately it was out of compassion for not just for himself but for everybody around him, yeah. And then he took the step. So if we ask ourselves this question, why did the Buddha teach? We can say it is out of compassion. But even more importantly, we should ask ourselves the next question. Why do we learn the Dharma? The Buddha teach so that we can be relieved of suffering. Do we learn Dharma to relieve ourselves of suffering? Yes. Huh? How many of you say yes? Okay, you all say one. Huh? Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Then it makes sense why I asked you to do that exercise earlier. Yeah? Write down your suffering. 
Yeah. Otherwise, we, we go for Dhamma talk and then we listen and then we feel inspired, we feel very happy and sometimes the Bhante or the give say a bit of a funny thing, then we laugh, 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 then we go back feeling very good and the next day wake up, Dhamma, leave it at Mangala Vihara. <laughs> ah, don't leave Dhamma in Mangala Vihara. Bhante have a lot of Dhamma already. Yeah, bring it home. Okay, bring it home. Yeah, so why do we learn Dharma? We learn Dharma so that, number one, to benefit ourselves, to reduce, minimally, to reduce our own suffering. Yeah, but to reduce our own suffering, we must first learn to recognize that we are suffering. In, um, in, the, in the years since I came back from U.S., um, I learned some things. One of the key things I learned was do not, do not tell a fat person to slim down if the fat person does not think he's fat. <laughs> you understand? When I was uh, newly ordained, I was wow, so excited, you know. Yeah. So I was in the US, spent about three to four years there. And whenever some of the Americans come up to the monastery. Uh, I was tasked to uh, attend to them yeah, because the rest were either from Taiwan or from China and so it, language was a barrier. So um, given that I was um, to attend to them, I, was, I found myself so excited, you know, ready to share Dharma, you know. Yeah. I want to share with them everything I know, which wasn't much really, you know. Back then, I, when I think about it, and over the years, yeah, some years later, I came back again. Oh, I was so excited! I want to just tell people about the Dharma. So when my mom brought some of her friends to see me, before they can tell me their problem, I have the solution for them. <laughs> yeah, that was how I was when I first came back to Singapore, and then over the years. Um, I realized something. Yeah, I realized that I need to uh, change my attitude. Yeah, I need to first understand what they are suffering over, whether there there is suffering, and to begin with, to know whether they know that they are suffering, whether they recognize that they are suffering. Yeah, because my earlier attempts, you know, to just drown them with dharma, like, you know what, enough. Let me just tell you how you can be enlightened next Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't work that way. Yeah. The person at hand must recognize, must first recognize that there's something that they want to change. Yeah. So ask yourself, of the three things, what, are the, what is the f- number one thing you want to change? Yeah. From the three things that afflict us, which of them can be changed. How can it be changed? Yeah. When we learn Dharma, it's about change, you know. Yeah. It's really about changing. Yeah. We need to recognize that there's a difference between ourselves and the Arahants. Yeah. That Arahants have no defilements. Yeah. They have no wrong views. Sakya Diti. We have we still have Sakya Diti. Yeah. Don't tell don't tell ourselves, oh, I have learned Dharma 
talks already. I've attended a lot of Dharma talks. I read through the Tibitaka. So I know what is Sakya Diti. Yeah, so I shouldn't have Sakya Diti. Uh, don't be so quick to say that. Yeah. Observe ourselves. Yeah. And then, once we have identified, uh, then we can maybe make some changes. So, um, having having decided that we want to learn the Dharma and figured for ourselves why we want to learn the Dharma, then we have to ask ourselves who was the Dharma meant for? Yeah. Was it meant for us? Is the Dharma meant for us? Say yes. Say yes. 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 Good. <laughs> if it's not meant for us, then we can uh, just pack up, uh, do dedication and go back. Huh? Yeah. The Dharma was for all. It's still for all. But it's actually not for all. Let me t- explain. Uh, the Dharma, while, uh, while the Dharma can be used for all, yeah, uh, it can only be used by those who want to use it. It can only be used by, in the Buddha's words, those with little dust in their eyes. Hmm. Yeah. So in a way, although we say, may all beings be well and happy, sabbe sata sukita hontu, yeah? uh, this is an expression of our compassion, just like that of the Buddha. Yeah, the Buddha often exhort the monks, yeah, go forth for the welfare and benefit of all. Yeah? But does it mean that um, everybody can benefit from it? Yeah, it depends. Not necessarily. Yeah? The Buddha mentioned those who have committed five heinous deeds, yeah? those who have committed patricide, matricide, killed an arhan, harm a Buddha, break up a, a sangha in concord. Yeah? Such an individual in this lifetime uh, is impeded, yeah? impeded by his own karma. So is unable to uh, have any progress as far as the Dharma is concerned. And in the next life, will be born in Abhichi hell. Yeah, so we know that for such an individual, cannot really progress. Yeah? Although the Buddha also said, such an individual should still learn Dharma. Yeah? So then we ask ourselves, any of you committed patricide? <laughs> uh, don't raise your hand. Quite scary. Huh? <laughs> uh, if you have committed any of the first three patricide, matricide, killing of an arhan, don't raise your hand, okay? See me after this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need to do repentance. Huh? <laughs> yeah. um, most of us wouldn't have done any of the five heinous deeds. Yeah. Uh, so, at, at a, uh, as a start, then we are free of this first initial obstacle. But we need to prepare ourselves to make sure that we are able to uh, really absorb the Dharma. Yeah. We are born as a human being. Yeah, that fulfills one of the key conditions. Uh, the Buddha has arisen. Yes, he has passed into Parinibbana. But his dispensation, the Dhamma Vinaya, is still present. Is there still Dhamma Vinaya? Yes, there is. Yeah. Uh, uh, centers such as Mangala Vihara yeah, have weekly classes. How many classes per week? Many, huh? Yeah. Just now when I was coming up, 
I heard the melodious uh, chanting, yeah, the, the puja in the, on the ground floor. Oh, so beautiful. Yeah. And uh, for a while I thought, oh, I'm late for the puja. <laughs> yeah. Centers such as Mangala Vihara yeah, uh, houses the Dharma. Yeah. In Singapore, there are so many of such centers. So we can be said to be born in a place uh, that is uh, doused with the Dharma. Unless you, you choose not to visit such centers. Uh, if you choose not to visit, then who can help you, right? Uh, so you are born as a human being, born in a country with Dharma flourishing. Uh, in Singapore, you can uh, pick and choose, you know. Yeah? You, can, you have access to so many different traditions. Theravadan tradition, Mahana tradition. You want Sri Lanka, you have Sri Lanka. You want Thai, you have Thai. You want Myanmar, you have Myanmar. Now Cambodia is in Singapore also. Yeah? You have so many different schools, yeah? so many different lineages. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as far as our self is concerned, we need to uh, put in that effort. How many of you attend Dharma classes or talks at least once a week? Oh, not bad. Mm. How about the rest? Three times a week? <laughs> yeah, some of you, once a week. Oh, Sufu, I attend twice, sometimes three times. Yeah. Uh, some students tell me, but Sufu, uh, very busy. Leh. Yeah. Once a week, too frequent. <laughs> if you think about it, how many hours are there per day? 24 hours. Our wake full hours is 16, about 16, there about 16 to 18, depending on how many hours you devote to sleeping. Yeah. So if you consider 16 uh, and you attend a two-hour Dharma class a week, okay? So it's two out of 16 and then multiply by what? Divide by seven because it's two divided by 16 times seven. Yeah, because there are seven days a week. Mm. Can someone punch, the, punch your handphone and calculate? Two divided by 16 divided by seven. No, divide by seven. Because you are not attending seven classes. <laughs> you are attending only one class over seven days. Yeah. Then multiply by 100, then you get a percentage. <laughs> so the answer is out. If you attend two hours of Dharma talk in a week, that is a total of 1.78% of your waking hours. We are, not, we are ignoring your sleeping hours, you know. If you add in your sleeping hours, then the percentage becomes even smaller. Mm. Yeah, so, ask yourself, yeah, do a chart. Go back and do a chart. How many hours do you devote to Dharma? How many hours do we de devote to work? I mean, we have to work, right? Yeah, I mean, that's that a predicament that we cannot avoid. So, but apart from work, yeah, then how, much, how many hours, how much time do we devote to uh, learning Dharma? Yeah, think about it. We, 
do you bathe every day? Don't answer that question. <laughs> yeah. The answer should be yes. Okay? Yeah. Uh, we bathe every day, we eat every day, we sleep every day, we brush our teeth every day, we wash our face every day. Yeah? Do we clean our heart every day? Mm. Do we do a review of our mental concomitants, our mental states? Yeah? The chitta sikha. Do we do a review of that every day? Mm. Yeah? Imagine if you don't bathe for one week. Yeah? So imagine if you take care of your body, just like the mind, yeah? just like our spiritual practice, yeah, once a week you bathe for two hours. Yeah. Can or not? Huh? I think I think you'll be fired from work. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Our body when our body is not uh, taken care of, yeah, we feel the effect. How about our mind? Mm. Our mind has an impact also. Yeah. If we don't take care of our mind, then our mind start to start to have collect filth, you know. Mm. How do we know? Ah, when our mind become very clouded, yeah, we we start to feel very negative about a lot of things. Ah, then we know that time to do clean up. Huh? You don't have to wait until it's Dhamma class day, then you do clean up. Huh? Mm. So, <clears throat> what else? Who? Uh, you may be familiar with this sutta, Mata Sutta. So, when we learn Dharma, it's for ourselves, yeah, but also for others, all sentient beings. In the Mata Sutta, it is found in the Sangyutta Nikaya. Uh, in this Sutta, the Buddha said, we have been going through samsara for how many, how many lifetimes? Countless lifetimes. Be- since beginningless time. Yeah. Do you all, do you all believe? I say, do you all believe? Why? Because either you believe or you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you know, wow. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Yeah. So sometimes when people learn, when we learn uh, Dharma, we sometimes think, oh, Buddhism is different from other religions. Yeah? In Buddhism, no faith is required. Actually, faith is important, you know. Sada. Yeah? It is a very key component in the five roots and five powers. Sing, jing, nian, ting, hui. Yeah, start off with sada, faith, and then from faith arising effort. From effort, and then you practice mindfulness, concentration, and then wisdom. Yeah? Uh, faith is crucial. If without faith, when you read this, yeah, imagine you read, if you read this, the Buddha said, we have been going through samsara, the cycle of birth and death, since beginningless time. The Buddha said, it is impossible to find someone who has not been your mother. It means all of you have been my mothers before, you know. <laughs> wow. huh? Family re- reunion. <laughs> Such a happy occasion. Yeah? But do we have faith in that? Do we have faith in the Buddha's words? Mm. Huh? So we can reflect on that. The next time when you encounter someone who is rude to you, yeah, you can reflect on this. Ah, if I accept the Buddha's teaching, 
Yeah, I take refuge in the Buddha, Dharma and the Sangha. If I take refuge in the Dharma, then do I have faith in the Dharma? If I have faith in the Dharma, yeah, this poor poor person, huh? last time my mother, yeah, but never learned Dharma, now like that. <laughs> ah, ah. The Buddha said, not just mother, you know. The Buddha also said, you cannot find someone who has not been your father, not been your husband, not been your wife before not been your brother or sister, son or daughter. Yeah. We have played so many roles before. Mm. Yeah. So sometimes we ask ourselves, hmm, if, we, if we were to go back to the suttas, how will we change our worldview? Yeah. Maybe we may be more forgiving, yeah. more understanding, more appreciative. So, what? So what? <laughs> yeah. Now we look at the what. Uh, the what here is of course the Dharma. Yeah. And the Dharma is the way to happiness. Uh, sometimes when we look at the, the, the Buddhist text, then uh, sometimes we may feel that the Dharma is a bit pessimistic. Huh? Yeah. The first noble truth. What is the first noble truth? Suffering. Second noble truth? Cause of still suffering. Cause of suffering. Third noble truth? Oh, finally some good news. Cessation of suffering. And fourth noble truth? The path leading to the cessation of suffering. Oh, luckily that's the third and the fourth noble truth. If the Buddha gave the first and second noble truth, and then someone, someone's phone, they interrupted Jalat. Luckily, in the Buddha's time, there was no handphone. So the Dharma, we can say that is the way to happiness. But our usual idea of happiness sometimes make us think that happiness is out there. Happiness is out there and we can pursue that happiness out there. Sometimes in society, in school, yeah, we are brought up with this mindset. If we get this, then we can be happy. If we get that, then we can be happy. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. If you get one star, are you happy? Uh, you are all grown up, yeah, all adults, not interested in star anymore. Yeah. What if Sifu give you a star? Huh? If Sifu give you a homework, then later on you'll come to my come to the front, and then I draw a star there. Very good, yeah, very good. Mm. Yes, keep it up. <laughs> yeah, wow. Then you bring back home. Yeah. Then some of you, and if I give one star to all of you, all of you are happy. If I give some of you one star and some of you two star. Wow, you start to have comparison, you know. Actually, star doesn't mean anything to you, isn't it? Yeah, at this age, who cares about a star? But let me assure you, if I give some of you one star and some of you two star, and a handful of you three star, after that, chaos. Yeah, tonight, some of you cannot sleep. Yeah, in your chat group, you all will be texting each other. How many star do you get? Yeah. 
Uh, this is the nature of our suffering, you know. Yeah. Because we have been conditioned in this way. Yeah. We are so used to this habitual tendency to compare. Yeah. What we have versus what people have. Yeah. And then we try to try to have more. Mm. So the way to happiness in Buddhism is quite different. Yeah, it's quite different. Um, the Buddha in his uh, teachings for 45 years uh, covered many different aspects. We can say that there are three main aspects. Are you all familiar with Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi? Yeah? He's, a, he's a very senior Mahathera. Uh, he has translated many uh, of the Pali Canon yeah, to, the, to English as well. Yeah. So in one of the books, uh, he in a way organized the, the Nikayas into an anthology and then he identifies three, three different categories. Yeah. The category that we are most familiar with is uh, the supreme happiness, yeah, Nibbana, mm. complete cessation of suffering, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but in many suttas, the Buddha also shared with individuals uh, happiness in the present life, happiness in the here and now. Yeah. As a lay person, how many of you are ready to attain? Now, this is very important. Now, listen carefully, okay? I must sit up. How many of you are ready to attain Arahanthood next Wednesday, 4 p.m.? Don't be too early, okay? How many of you are ready? Is it nobody's ready? Yeah. Huh? Sure. Are you serious? Like, like if you have, if you say yes, maybe it can happen. You know. Huh? None of you are ready to attain arahanhood next Wednesday. How about five p.m.? <laughs> See, uh, actually, you are not um, different from people in the Buddha's time. Yeah. When we read the suttas, many times it talk about the great arahants, Venerable Sariputra, Venerable Mahamugalana, Venerable Mahakashapa, Venerable Mahakachayana, wow, all the great disciples. Yeah? Venerable Ananda with his perfect memory. Yeah? Wow, we feel so inspired. But sometimes because they are so great, we feel a bit distant. Huh? But the good news is, if you go through the Nikayas, you find that not all the disciples are like that. Yeah. There are also lay disciples to whom the Buddha teach them how to have a meaningful life in the present, uh, in the present vocation. Yeah. Because the Buddha didn't just ordain everybody. Yeah. A good number of his disciples are actually lay people. Mm. So the Buddha gave teachings to guide people so that they can live a meaningful life whether they, you are a lay person or a monastic. If we look at most suttas, you may wonder, but Sifu, most suttas starts off with uh, all monks. Yeah? Most of the suttas are directed towards monks. Eh? Huh? Correct or not? Yeah, we may look at the suttas and then later on ask, ask Sifu, hey, you say that the Buddha gave teachings for us, but majority of the teachings are all for monks and nuns. Yeah? Not for us, right? What is the meaning of bhikshu or bhikkhu? What is the meaning of bhikkhu? Huh? Sorry? 
Ah, so we usually, uh, the Buddha usually used the term bhikkhu to refer to the monks. Yeah, uh, the word bhikkhu has three meaning. Yeah, uh, a lot of the Pali terms actually have multiple meaning. The word bhikkhu, um, the first meaning is one who lives on arms. Yeah, then arms eater. So my teacher explained. There are two kinds of arms eater. The first kind is those who is an arms eater as far as material food is concerned. Yeah? Uh, so that includes anyone who go on the street and receive arms, but may not be a Buddha's disciple. So my teacher highlighted uh, a second category is the those who don't just subsist on the arms, but also receive dharma. Mm. Ah. So the alms food comes from lay people like you all. The dharma comes from the Buddha. Mm. That makes the monks, the ascetics, a bhikkhu. Yeah. Think about it. Anyone can take a, a bowl, stand at the MRT station, right? Correct or not? Anyone can take a bowl, go to hawker center. Singapore is you know, you just take a bowl, people start throwing things inside, you know. <laughs> yeah. Does it make the person a bhikkhu? No. Yeah. If you just receive material food, that's just half of it. Yeah. To be a bhikkhu in the Buddhist tradition, then you must also receive dharma. Yeah. Otherwise, in Chinese we say, Hun kou fan si <laughs> just making a living. No. Yeah. You must take care of your material health, but also your spiritual life. Yeah, then it's complete. So that's the first meaning. Uh, second meaning? Second meaning is uh, eradicator of evil. Mm. Yeah, eradicator of evil. A bhikkhu is someone who works to eradicate evil. In other words, the defilements in themselves. Yeah. Doesn't mean that they have succeeded. Lah. Okay? Uh, but has started. Uh, put an effort yeah, that is the wish to, to do. Third meaning, um, the Chinese word is bu uh, mo. Mm. So someone who makes uh, Mara fearful, who strikes fear in Mara. Do you all know Mara? Yeah, we all know Mara. Huh? Yeah, we are our own Mara. <laughs> yeah, every time when we when we uh, uh, Let's say there's a Dhamma talk. Uh, not not you all, uh, not you all. You all are here at the Dhamma talk. Uh. Uh, sometimes, some people, sometimes, when there's Dhamma talk, there's Dhamma class, and then, oh, something happened. Yeah? Our friend chill us to go for karaoke. Yeah. Then our friend is the Mara. <laughs> yeah. But actually, sometimes we are the Mara. Yeah? Maybe we come for Dhamma class, and then our favorite seat. Uh, some, sometimes, you know, in temples, yeah, some people have favorite seat one, you know. Uh, I don't know about Mangala Vihara. First time giving talks here. Yeah, I've, uh, I've seen before, you know. Wow, their favorite seat. Uh. Then if someone else knew, don't know, uh, go and sit there. Wow. <laughs> I tell you. Uh, yeah, wow. Yeah, that is Mara. Yeah, at that moment, you're Mara. Yeah, then maybe, maybe the person who got towed off on one hand, we say that uh, we shouldn't be so attached to the seat. Yeah? 
But imagine if you're the person who didn't know and sit down there, and then uh, the, the, the other person who always sit at the particular seat come over and say, hello, do you know that this is my seat? Uh, how do you feel if someone come and tell you? We feel a bit embarrassed, isn't it? Yeah, we don't feel so good. Are you more likely to come again? Uh, will you be affected? Maybe a bit. Huh? Uh, so sometimes when we go to Buddhist centers, we have to check ourselves. Hmm. Maybe some things happen that is pleasing to us. Maybe some things happen that is not so pleasing to us. I'm just giving you an example. Huh? I think Mangala Vihara, no problem. So many seats. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Not enough seats sit on the floor, no problem. Isn't it? Yeah. But sometimes when we go to Buddhist centers, be it Mangala Vihara or any place, yeah, we have to always check ourselves. Yeah, check ourselves. When I come here, yeah, am I am I aware of the defilements arising? Yeah? Is are there unwholesome states arising? Don't be don't don't be concerned about who is right and wrong. I tell you, uh, many years ago I heard some uh, Buddhist masters say this. If you want to learn Dharma in Buddhism, don't waste your time on right and wrong. When I was in my 20s, I heard this, I was like, hey, what kind of nonsense are we talking for? Yeah, in my mind, I really cannot accept. No. Huh? Right and wrong is right and wrong, ma. <laughs> yeah? Law by law, ma. Right means right, wrong means wrong. Yeah, Correct or not? Yeah, we sometimes get caught up with this. But over the years, uh, I start to appreciate uh, if you get caught up with who is right and who is wrong, what is right and what is wrong. I'm, and I'm, I'm not talking about the Dharma wholesome and wholesome. I'm talking about the worldly right and wrong. Yeah? If you get caught up with that, you really cannot practice. Yeah? Like if you take the example I gave just now. The person who sat at, the, at that seat truly is not at fault, right? And we can perhaps say that the person who came along and said, hey, why are you sitting at my desk, uh, at my chair? Yeah? Uh, we can say that that person is wrong, isn't it? Yeah? So in a worldly sense, we can determine who is right and wrong. But in the Dharma, Whoever gives rise to defilements is wrong. Hmm. If defilements arise and you still follow your defilements, lagi wrong. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because ultimately, what matters is if you give in to defilements, then you're going to act out of defilements, act out of greed, hatred, and delusion. And that would leave an imprint in you. Karma. Yeah. And you don't have to wait until next life, you know. If enough defilements arise, then it affects your own learning and practice. And that is what is important. Yeah, that is what's important. Yeah. And so when we go to Buddhist centers, keep this in mind. Yeah. Frequently check ourselves. Because sometimes we, we get so caught up. Uh, yeah. Then we forget. Why we come to the center? Mm. So happiness in this life. This applies to not just when you come to Mangala Vihara. At home as well. 
Yeah. At home, do you all quarrel? Say yes. Yes. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Home is the aggregation of defilements. <laughs> yeah. The Chinese verses they say, Yeah. Yeah. So home. Yeah. Home is the aggregation of defilements. Why Sufu, why do you say that? Huh? Next time don't invite you lah. <laughs> yeah. But if you think about it, how does a home, a family start? Starts from defilement, isn't it? Yeah? Yeah. Without defilement you cannot start a family. Isn't it? To be very honest with it. Yeah. But not to criticize or what lah, huh? Correct or not? But from there, then every day how many of you every day as a family you all do puja together? Yeah? Uh, morning six six uh six o'clock. Uh, uh, the morning puja. Yeah, strike the bell. Tong dong. <laughs> yeah, how many of us do that? Yeah. Not so much, huh? But Sifu, how can we do that? We stay in HDB flat. We don't 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 <laughs> Yeah, we be chased out, you know. Yeah. But even if you don't do that, mm, oftentimes our interaction with one another. Just now I mentioned about coming to the temple, coming to Mangala Vihara or any centers to always check ourselves. In the same way at home, always check ourselves. When you wake up in the morning, who do you see? Your family members, isn't it? Yeah? For those who are married, you wake up, you see your husband and wife. Yeah? Are you happy with what you see? I saw this internet joke. Don't complain about your spouse. You know why? You chose him or her. <laughs> yeah? uh, so when you wake up, be, be thankful. Uh. Yeah. Be thankful for what? Sifu, you don't know uh, what Bao I go through. You, know? <laughs> you ask me to be thankful. Yeah. Well, not easy, huh? Correct or not? Family life, easy or not? Why don't you join us? <laughs> yeah? Join us, easier, right? Just join us. Yeah, later, uh, where's Bante? Uh? Uh, yeah, later look for Bante. Bante, aham, Bante. <laughs> yeah, ask Bante. Okay, decided after the Dharma talk, all of us decided want to join you. Yeah. Even at home, when you wake up in the morning, until at night, when you close your eyes to sleep. Check yourself. If you apply the same principle to your home, it may be a lot of dispute can be avoided, you know. Mm. Many times when young couples come to see me, yeah, they want to get married, and then they come to see me for blessing, yeah. Uh, I will advise them this. I say, I tell the guy, look at the girl, have a good look at her. She will change. <laughs> and then I tell the girl, have a good look at the guy. Take a look. This is what, what you are marrying. <laughs> he will not change. <laughs> but Shifu, just now you just quoted the Buddha, Sabe Sankara Anichati. How come you say the guy don't change? No, no, no. I correct myself. 
the guy will not change according to your wishes. <laughs> yeah. And the girl will not stay still according to your wishes. Yeah. Changes. Anicca. Yeah. The three universal characteristics. Anicca, dukkha, anatta. This is so, huh? so part of our teaching. But Anicca has this element. Not just impermanence. Not just change. But change that is not within our control. Not absolute control anyway. Change happens according to conditions. Yes. Not according to our whims and fancy. Occasionally, unfortunately, it coincides with our wishes and gives us a false sense of control. But in fact, even when it goes according to our wishes, it's not trying to go according to our wishes. It just so happened to go according to our wishes. The Buddha observed reality. This is how reality is. Reality don't care about how we feel. Reality don't care about how we think. Reality will continue the way it is. Yeah. So every day when we wake up at home, yeah, check ourselves. Yeah. Are we having the wrong view? Now when we talk about right view, we usually think about oh, right view in terms of noble eightfold path. We want to practice and attain enlightenment. Yeah, the right view is meant to to be used by us to apply into how we look at this world. Yeah. Recently, in the past few years, I've been sharing a very simple concept. Yeah. When we learn about the right view, what must we do? Test drive. Do you know test drive? Uh, you go Kakebukit, go there, get a car, drive one round, come back, put it back. Uh, test drive. When you come to Bangala Vihara, attend Dharma talk, Dharma classes, you learn the teachings, uh, what is right view, what is wrong view, you learn all kinds of teachings. When you go back home, test drive it. Uh, try it out. Only when you test drive it, then do you know about the peculiarities, just like buying a new car. Because when we learn about the right view, is it our view already? No, not yet. Yeah? We are just hearing about the description of Buddha's realization. Is it our realization? Not quite yet. Yeah, we only have knowledge of the Buddha's realization yeah, that we learn as right view. But we must try it out. Yeah? We have to go back and then reflect on it. Yeah. Then we have an understanding and slowly, slowly improve on it. Yeah? So even at home, apply the teachings. Yeah? Apply the teachings. Check ourselves. When something happens, check ourselves. Is there defilements arising? Yeah? Uh, teach you all this magical mantra. Chinese, okay or not? Over here, Kantang? Ah. <laughs> uh, Whoever gives rise to defilements is wrong. Uh, if you keep re reminding yourself with this mantra, uh, then no time to quarrel with your husband or wife. Yeah, no time to get angry. Now, bear in mind, uh, just because you don't get angry doesn't mean that you don't do anything about anything. Uh. 
Uh, after this talk, go back home. Then your kid never do homework. Yeah. Uh, the children never wash the dishes. And then your husband come back. Hey, what happened? Uh? Then you look at your husband. No defilements. <laughs> Are you having defilements? <laughs> Yeah, no. Use the Dharma, yeah, quell the burning uh, defilements in our heart. Yeah. But whatever needs to be done externally, uh, you still have to go and deal with it. Okay? Hmm. But besides this present life, we have to also plan for future life. Uh. Yeah. Have you all planned for your future life? Did you all buy insurance for the next life? <laughs> yeah. Learning Dharma is like buying insurance, you know. Yeah. But this is one insurance that the Buddha said, give us assurance. Yeah. No inflation. No depreciation. Yeah. My teacher often encouraged us. Even if you attend Dharma class and you don't quite understand, it's okay. Just go and sit. Yeah and try to remember. Just listen. If you can understand, understand. If you cannot understand, just try to remember. And plant as much of the wholesome seeds as you can. Yeah? Uh, then, in future, when there are suitable conditions, when it ripens, oh, when you attend the Dharma talk, yeah? and then the Buddha gives, the next Buddha, Maitreya Buddha gives teachings, hey, how come among the 500 monks, you are the only one, immediately understand. Ah, then in the future, the Maitreya Buddha say, Ah, monks, you all may be wondering why this individual attained arahanthood so quickly. Because many, many, many lives ago, yeah, when he, he, was, uh, he was still practicing under the dispensation of Sakyamuni Buddha, there was once this Dhamma talk. <laughs> wow. That would be so interesting, huh? Mm. Yeah. Future life, our karma. So in the Buddha's teaching, uh, you need to accumulate merit. What are the ways to accumulate merit? Usually we only think about dana, dana, dana. Huh? Dana is good, isn't it? Very easy to do. Yeah. Anyone who have material things can give, no problem. But there are three kinds of merits that the Buddha teaches us to cultivate. The first one, Dana, do you want to talk about it? All of you are expert, isn't it? Say yes. Yes, yes expert already. Second type, precepts. Uh, yeah, so Dana, Sila, and Samadhi. Yeah, so the second type is observance of precepts. Mangala Vihara regularly conduct the Atta Sila. It precepts, isn't it? Yeah? Eh, no response. <laughs> uh, is there a precepts here? Retreat? Don't have a. Eight precepts? Ah, well, Bhante is very kind. Yeah. Observe, yeah, you all never ask, so he also don't push you all too hard. Uh. Yeah. Bhante may be uh, out of compassion. Yeah. Uh, your five precepts, maybe yours go and bargain with him. Uh, Bhante, can I observe three? Uh? <laughs> so Bhante maybe think, ayah. Five precepts also cannot take it. Huh? So better don't push you for eight precepts. Ah, I tell you, uh, full moon day, or let's say like uh, once a month, yeah? of course you must plan ahead. Yeah? Invite Bante to 
uh, administer the eight precepts for you all. Yeah, Mangal Vihari is such a beautiful place, very serene, quiet place. You all can practice together as a community, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, if you observe the five precepts, that is the bare minimum. Now, the first four precepts to abstain from killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, and lying. Yeah, do, these four are the fundamental precepts. They are fundamental about harming others. Then the fifth precepts to abstain from alcohol, uh, which is to protect our mind. Yeah, so that the mind is free of uh, cloudiness. Yeah? You have clarity so that you can practice. But the eight precepts built on top of that. The third precepts is changed into abrahmacharya, uh, basically celibacy, yeah? abstinence from all sexual activity. And then beyond that, six, seven, eight, abstaining from uh, food after uh, noon. The proper, proper description is to abstain from food at improper times, where improper times is usually described as uh, where the sun crosses the zenith until the break of dawn in the morning. Yeah. Then the seventh precept to abstain from uh, two parts. Yeah. Firstly, all kinds of adornments, yeah, unguents, uh, sand, powder, and so on. And then the second part, all kinds of entertainment. In the Buddha's time, then they describe uh, the instruments, the singing, and the dancing. Yeah. Today, there's so much more. Huh? Uh, so it should include all the new kinds of entertainment as well. Mm. So the last one, to abstain from... Uh, sitting or lying down on uh, luxurious seats or beds. Yeah. Uh, the Buddha said, this is a good news. Huh? The Buddha said, if you observe the eight precepts, just one day, one night, you know how much the merit is or not? The Buddha said, in the Buddha's time, there's a 16 states. And if, even if a person rule over the 16 states. That is not worth one-sixteenth of the merit of a person who observes eight precepts for one day, one night. Huh? Quickly, after this talk, go and disturb Bante. Bante, Bante. <laughs> uh, later, when Bante see me, oh, you are. <laughs> yeah. No, it's for your good. Huh? So this is a second way. Yeah. Whether you observe eight precepts or maybe sometimes you go for a short-term uh, retreat, yeah, ten precepts, yeah, dasa sila. Uh, on top of that, practice of samadhi. Mm. So you practice samatha and then you attain samadhi or jhana. Uh, if you don't don't think that oh, huh, you mean there's merit in that? Yes, there's merit. Why is there merit? Uh, because you develop purity of the mind. When you think about the the practices, the practice of precepts purify our body and speech. Yeah? If you look at the precepts, it's mainly on the body and speech. So you purify your, the karma of your body and speech. When you practice uh, meditation, yeah? samatha meditation, then you purify the mind. But this purification is only temporal, yeah? not a permanent purification. But with that, then it forms the basis for us to practice vipassana so that we can penetrate into the reality yeah, of how things truly are. And that purifies our view. Yeah? Uh, so, happiness in future life. Okay, finally, supreme happiness. I know you all have been waiting for this. Uh, uh, 
Just now when I was going through the earlier part, you all are thinking, Ayah, Sifu, we are not interested in worldly happiness. Huh? We are not interested in a happier rebirth. We just want to be enlightened. Correct or not? Uh, no reply. <laughs> uh, actually, sometimes when we think about Nibbana, um, we have to know what Nibbana means. Nibbana is none other than the cessation of suffering. So it's not something so supernatural out there, you know. Yeah. It's something that all of us want. Yeah. Anytime we suffer, yeah, we are actually yearning for the cessation. Except that when we don't have the right view, we don't have the correct clarity or the wisdom, then we keep on pursuing an alternative that is actually another form of suffering. Yeah. We don't seek the true cessation of suffering. Yeah. So, um, let me see. Uh, because I have 10 minutes left. Uh. <laughs> okay. So you have to ask yourself, when can you apply Dharma? When? Just now we went through the time. If you attend two hours Dharma talk once a week, yeah, it's only 1.78%. If you attend two of such talks, it's only 3. 3.56%. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But here, timeless is referring to how in the Buddha's time, the Dharma is applicable. Today, it is still applicable. In future, it is still applicable. Yeah? But as I mentioned earlier, when, when we think in this way, we may think, oh, we can, we can wait until tomorrow, then we apply. Actually, the Dharma can only be applied at a very precise timing. Do you know when? Now. <laughs> yeah. The dharma, dharma can only be applied now. Cannot be applied tomorrow. Cannot be applied yesterday. Yeah. Only now. Uh, so I want to do a very simple exercise with you all before we wrap up. At this moment, do you have anything that is happening at this very moment, right in front of you, that is troubling you? Shouldn't have a if, I can't, if Sufu continue another one hour, then you'll be troubling. Huh? <laughs> but at this moment, anything that is troubling you? No. So are you with suffering? Shouldn't be. Huh? Are you suffering or not in my talk? <laughs> I, uh, poor thing. Huh? Don't worry. Another 10 minutes Q&A. I know you have burning questions. <laughs> yeah. At this moment, I want you to observe your body and I want you to observe your mental state. Yeah? Sometimes physically we get so tense up yeah, from the whole day, we are not aware, you know. Yeah? So do a check. Yeah? Do a very simple scan throughout your whole body. Is there any tension, any stress? Yeah? Sometimes we have something on our mind, then we focus too much, yeah, our, our eyebrows knot up. Yeah, sometimes our shoulders tense up. 
sometimes our chest tighten. Other times, maybe our abdomen is so, oh, yeah. So, go through the whole body and check: is there any part that is tense? Yeah, relax that part. At this very moment, is there anything that is happening right in front of us that is troubling us? Actually, there's nothing more. Yeah. I want you to put your hand on the table in front of you. Yeah. And answer as you deem fit. Is the table hard or soft? How do you know? Yes. Yeah. Don't worry about giving more the answer. Just give the answer as it is. Okay. Ah, because you can feel it, isn't it? Huh? Shifu always asks uh, obvious question. Huh? Yeah. Now, is it smooth or rough? Yes, very good. Now you have more confidence. Yeah? You have sada. Uh, sada is not just about dharma, about yourself also. You, know? you have confidence. Uh, then you can give the answer. Okay. Then, now you are anticipating my next question. Huh? Uh, is the table warm or cold? Uh, some of you are a bit confused. Yeah, but this is normal because temperature is actually very ambiguous. Yeah? Uh, it's relative. Yeah, it depends on how your, your own body temperature also. Uh, then, is the, is the uh, table... Mm, uh, so... Uh, okay. Is the table stable or unstable? Ah, now, in this past maybe 30 seconds when you are observing the table, did you think about your work? Unless you are in furniture business. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Did you think about uh, uh, today is Friday. Do you think about this weekend? Yeah. Oh, today is Monday. Huh? Oh, <laughs> well, not bad you are still, still present. Huh? Uh, so, do you think about work tomorrow? No. no. Uh, so, if you just think about it, yeah. Once we pay attention, yeah, to the sensation, yeah, to the contact with the table, yeah, and we apply just not much effort, but just some effort to go and observe it. Yeah, what have you observed? Actually, the actually you have done the contemplation on the four elements, the four great elements, earth, water, fire, wind. Yeah? These are the four basic constructs of rupa, yeah? physicality, isn't it? Yeah? You all learn in the Abhidhamma class, learn in the Dhamma class, isn't it? Huh. This is how you can use it. Okay? Yeah. Anytime, maybe a few times a day, you are at work, then... Uh, just, just take note. You can put your hand on the table, yeah, or you're, when you are waiting for the leaf, or you are in the leaf, you just feel with your feet on the ground, uh, and just pay attention to that. At that moment, at least for that moment, that few seconds, when you are paying attention in this way, you disconnect from the past and the future. You are just present. Uh, you are just present. And when you, when you do that, is there anything to worry about, anything to be anxious about? 
Yeah? Immediately disconnected. No more. If you are in a meeting, maybe you don't want to do that, huh? Yeah. If you are in a meeting, then your boss asks you, so what do you think? <laughs> uh, no more no response, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So find a suitable time and then in a way it's like a reset, you know? Yeah, it's like sometimes your handphone when it's when it's running too many things, then you power off your handphone, reset your handphone, you know? Uh, we need to learn how to reset our mind. Yeah? Recenter our mind. Yeah? You can use this simple uh, method. Uh, those of you who drive, yeah, uh, just now the, uh, the one of the brothers asked you all to take note, right? Yeah, those of you who drive, let me give you a good news. At the start of the day, when you get into your car, you know what you must do? Enjoy your car. <laughs> Think about it. In Singapore, are cars expensive or cheap? Expensive. Huh? Then why are you rushing in and out? Yeah? When you get into the car, spend five minutes with your car. Yeah? Totally present with your car. Yeah? Observe the texture. Yeah? And ask yourself, were you as attentive to your car on the first day as now? Yeah? Think about it. The first day when you buy your car, whether it's new or secondhand, are you more attentive back then or now? Same, uh, don't care. Uh. <laughs> yeah. uh, you can do this reflection also, you know. Yeah. Because the Dharma is not just to be used in a temple, you know. Yeah. Sometimes people think, oh, so worldly, this kind of practice. But apart from our worldly life, there's no Dharma to talk about, you know. If we don't use the Dharma to apply to how we relate to things around us, by the time your car gets scratched, then you want to apply Dharma. Huh? When the car gets scratched, then you, Sabe Sankara Anichati. <laughs> Can or not? Cannot. Namu Tasa Bhagavato. It's still scratched. Le. <laughs> huh? Cannot. Yeah. So, on a day to day basis, yeah, when you are using the car, ah, observe the car. Ah, how has the car aged? Yeah? It's impermanent also. Yeah. And then just sit there. Yeah, this, this is your own real estate, you know. Yeah, make, make sure you turn on the, the car engine. Uh, yeah? But don't stay too long. Uh, later you... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Then just breathe and meditate inside. Sometimes we think, oh yeah, Sufu, no quiet place to meditate. Yeah, your car. If you have a car, yeah, your car, that's the place. Then when you arrive at your workplace, yeah, then maybe workplace a bit, you start to get excited. Uh. Then you observe your mind. Ah, now with the workplace as a condition, oh, all the sankara arising. Oh, huh? yeah. Then you learn to be mindful. Yeah. If you are taking the train, taking the bus, Sufu, how I I don't have a car. How must I go and buy a car to practice? <laughs> no need, huh? ah, If you take a bus or take a train, there is the 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 supporting pole, isn't it? Yeah. Now now you visualize, okay. Imagine that you are in a train, okay? Or in a, in a bus. Reach out with your hand. Imagine, follow me. Yeah? Uh, ask yourself, is the pole hard or soft? Ah, it's hard. Is it, uh, is it 
warm or cold? Well, before I ask you, you can say cold already. Uh. Whoa, so cold, so cold. Yeah. Then, is it uh, smooth or smooth? <laughs> yeah. Then, is it stable? Stable. Ah. So, if you do this practice, you, you think about it. Don't waste your time looking at the train and then think, so crowded. Ah. Yeah? Yeah, when you focus on your hand on the pole, is there a crowded train? No more crowded train. Is there a crowded bus? No more crowded bus. Yeah, no more. In one of the sutta, uh, the Maha Sunyata Sutta, yeah, the Buddha gave the teaching on voidness. Yeah. The word sunyata also means emptiness. But in this sutta, the Buddha emphasized and gave the teaching, consider, yeah, now we are at, he, he was talking to, to uh, I think one of the monks, uh, some of the monks, then he asked them, consider at this place, yeah, uh, is there the sign of the people, the villagers and so on? No. Yeah? Consider, if you abide in this, then how about all other things? Uh, so from that sutta actually, you don't have to go to a village, go to, a, to the forest to apply it, you know. Yeah. In the train, in the bus, if you apply yourself to just abide by the four elements right there and then, immediately the whole train becomes empty. Yeah. Even as it's moving around, yeah. then you abide by the, what is that, wind element. Yeah. Wind element. Yeah. When we learn the four elements, earth, water, fire, wind, ti, sui, ho, feng, not, not for us to write paper, you know. Yeah. For us to observe every day. Yeah. Then, in office, you can also use it. When a boss is very angry and then scolding you, wah, 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 then you observe, wind, 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 fire, fire. <laughs> huh? hmm. Okay, I think this, let me see. Uh, okay, I think I should cover this and then wrap up because I have actually covered some of the topics that is in the other slides behind. Mm. You all may be familiar with this Chigala Sutta, the yoke. Yeah? What did the Buddha say? He says, imagine yeah, if there is a turtle, a blind turtle, swimming in the four great oceans. And once every hundred years, he will, the turtle were to surface, yes. Yeah? And there's a yoke, like a, you can imagine those, uh, the, what is that? Uh? The, the life ring, uh, a float, yeah? floating around, random. Okay? And once every hundred years, when the turtle surface, that the head of the turtle should surface and go through the hole. Is that rare or not? Very rare. Yeah? Is that something that is common? Oh, very uncommon. So the Buddha said, that is how rare it is for a Tathagata to arise in this world. And for the Tathagata to give teachings of the Dhamma Vinaya. And for a person to be born as a human being, to come into contact with the Dhamma, learn and practice. That is how rare these conditions are. So, all of us, till baby, you know. <laughs> huh? All of us, 
managed to hit all these conditions, you know? Has a Tathagata arise in this world? Yes. Has the Tathagata given teachings? Yes. Have you arise as a human being? Have you come into contact with the Dharma? Ah, have you learned and practiced Dharma? Yes. Yeah. Oh, very good, very confident. <laughs> yeah, this is how rare, you know. Mm. The first time I learned about this sutta, the way it was positioned was, it's so rare. Yeah, high chance next life, uh, you, will, you, will, you will be in the lower realms. Um, but let me ask you a question. Is our rebirth as a human being by chance? No. By what? By God? By some heavenly being? By Buddha? No. By what? Our karma, volition formation. Huh? In that case, why did the Buddha say that it is like chance? So rare. It don't seem to gel, isn't it? Now, let me offer a possible way to look at it. It is not that our rebirth is by chance. So the reason why the Buddha described it using a blind turtle going through the yoke as though it's by chance is that the statistically speaking, there are much more people who don't cultivate the conditions to be reborn as a human being to be reborn as a human being to come into contact with the Dharma. Much more people do not do that. Much more people cultivate those conditions that is leading them to the lower realms. Because lower realms are very easy. Just anyhow whack then you, you are born in the lower realms. You know? Yeah. But to be reborn as a human being uh, requires some effort. But actually it's not so difficult also, you know. If you look at the Buddha's teaching, yeah, you observe the five precepts, you observe, you practice the ten wholesome deeds. Together it covers the first five of the Noble Eightfold Path, yeah, including the right livelihood. That itself assures you of rebirth as a human and above. Yeah? Because without wrong view, yeah, and of course then you with by observing the ten wholesome deeds, you're not doing anything uh, harmful yeah, that will cause you to be reborn in low, lower realms. Yeah. So, when we look at this sutta, it is a reminder that much higher percentage of sentient beings uh, tend to uh, conduct themselves in unwholesome ways yeah, that results in the lower rebirth. But it doesn't mean that we cannot be the minority. Yeah? But actually, we are the minority, isn't it? Yeah? How many people in Singapore? How many million? About five million. How many of us here today? I see, a minority. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's okay. The important thing is, is, are we the wholesome minority? Yes. Yeah, so learn and practice the Buddha Dharma and then we become that minority that as rare as the turtle, blind turtle going through the yoke. Mm. Oh, yeah. We have covered many things today. So now to wrap up. Look 
at your three things again. Okay? And then ask yourself, is there anything that you, you have heard today that can perhaps um, help you to overcome or at, at the first place help you to identify the three things? Yeah? And then if you have questions, you can ask. We have 20 minutes for you to ask questions. I'm very impressed with this. Huh? Yeah. This is a good use of technology. So if you are shy, you can just send a WhatsApp to this number and then they will ask the question for you. Yes, we have a gentleman behind. Oh, oh, oh he, he's a volunteer. <laughs> Is there any question for Sufu? Should we be concerned about the happiness in the future life? Wouldn't it be so that we should be more concerned about now? Ah, good question. Yeah, shouldn't we be concerned about the present? Yeah, why be concerned about the happiness of future life? So why should we be concerned? Actually, I also don't know why. <laughs> yeah. I say, I don't know why, because I don't know why that's important for you. Yeah, but for me, it's important. Yeah, because um, if, not to mention future life, if tomorrow, uh, if you consider today, at this moment, we have the conditions to learn and practice. Yeah? But if tomorrow, the conditions are very harsh, then under harsh conditions, we may not have the right frame of mind to make the right choice. So, in this sense, our, our concern for future happiness is not so much a longing for future. It's not so much a, wow, just thinking about future. Yeah. But it's also coming back to the present on the conditions for cultivation. Our life, mm, how many of you think that uh, this is the only life? One person. The rest? How many of you know or think that, think, uh, I don't say no, uh, think that there's future life? How many of you don't know what I'm talking about? <laughs> uh, so some of us, most of us, agree that or, or accept that okay, there should be a future life. Yeah? So, um, if there's a future life, then you have to ask yourself um, if you have a choice. Yeah? Like, you know, Wheel of Fortune. Hell. Do you want to... Be, how many of you want to be reborn in hell? No, uh, nobody. Uh. How many of you want to be reborn as an animal? 
no. Dogs in Singapore quite good life. <laughs> uh, no, better don't. Uh. Uh, yes. Mm. Yes. Yes. So this is this is what we call the YOLO generation. Yeah, you only live once. Yes. Many years back when I was in US, there was this Amor lady, American. She came up and then after sharing with her some questions, then she asked me, she said, uh, Venerable, I have this question about rebirth. But her question is most interesting. This is what she told me. She said, it is not that I don't accept rebirth, but I haven't found enough evidence for rebirth. Can you help me to convince myself that there is rebirth? Now, this is her question. So this is what I told her. I said, if you meet me maybe 20 years ago or, or 10 over years ago, I'll be very eager to convince you that there's future life. That's rebirth. But today, and that was 10 over years ago, I'm not so keen to convince you. Yeah. And of course today, if someone tell me, how I know that there's future life, yeah, in a very singlish way, how I know? I, I will say, well, if you, cannot be, if you are not convinced, okay, it's okay. To me, that, not so important. Because what I ask her instead is, if you currently don't have evidence for future life, the important thing is, how does that affect your life decision? As a result of that, are you more inclined to make good use of your life, to do good, to be better, to be wholesome? Or as a result, do you choose to do otherwise? To which she tell me, well, at the moment, I don't have evidence for future life. So, roughly speaking, this could potentially be my only life. In which case, she said, I will want to make the best out of this life. I want to learn as much as I can to, to improve myself and you know, be of benefit to others. And so I told her, well, that's good enough. Yeah, that's good enough. I will go further. Let me tell you, I will go further. You know, when I asked you all to do the three exercises, right? The exercise to write down three things that get you upset. Nah? There was once when I was in one Buddhist center, when I asked everybody to do the exercise, and I gave the instruction, and after a short while, one of them raised their hand and tell me, uh, Bhante, hmm, I cannot think of anything that get me upset. I was like, oh, really? So, past three weeks, nothing? Say, yeah, nothing. Uh, okay, how about past three months? And without even baiting an eyelid, he just said, no, don't have. Say, okay, how about past six months? No. Past year? No. Three years? No. Ten years? No. Uh, your whole life? No. <laughs> oh, I was like, well, I was quite impressed, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So I told him, I said, well, maybe you're more enlightened than you realize. <laughs> In which case, I told him, 
Well, if you have nothing to write, then don't write. Yeah. If it was me 20 years ago, I would be like, you sure or no? You don't have. Huh? <laughs> I slap you, you know. <laughs> yeah. But today, if someone tells me that they don't suffer, okay, then okay. Lo. Then you don't suffer. Lo. Yeah. And you know what happened? So the rest, you know, was, they were like listening to our, our exchange. And when I said, okay, then, then you write. Yeah. I was sincerely saying, if you really don't have then you shouldn't be writing anything. And they continue, the rest continue with, with their writing. After about three to four minutes, suddenly he raised his hands again. And he said, Bante, uh, yes? Um, I think maybe I have something to write. I said, oh, is it? Why is it? Then he told me. He said, every week, when he come to that center, I don't say which center, but that center is in Geelang. So he says, class at 7.30. When he arrived at 7 o'clock, no parking lot. He circled round and round and round until sometimes yeah, he's late. 7.45, then he find a lot. 8 o'clock, then he find a lot. Wow, so he's upset. Then he said, sometimes I even come earlier. I come at 6.30. Still no lot. <laughs> so he said, ah, maybe this one can count as. So I said, okay, then you can write that. But before he, anything, he immediately said, but I'm just upset for a short while. Lah. So I said, well, okay. Um, are you okay with being upset for a short while once in a while? Because if you are okay with that, I'm okay with that because you are the one who is upset, not me. <laughs> yeah. It's not that, oh, you're a sufu, this, you're this sufu, not compassionate, you know. Uh, but Buddhism is not in the business of forcing people to become enlightened. Yeah. Uh, so similarly, whether it's suffering, yeah, if you don't feel that you are suffering now, then okay, it's okay. Yeah. And if you find that um, your present happiness is more crucial to you at this moment, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, but the important thing is to consider are there further repercussions to our actions beyond the present day? You think about it. Can you all remember what you ate last Wednesday lunch? How many of you can remember? I've been asking this question for the past maybe close to seven, eight years. Yeah. In some classes, some students will give me an answer. And it's usually the kids. And the kids will say, I, if I ask them breakfast, they'll say, Sifu, I know, peanut butter sandwich. Say, How do you know? Because my mom prepared that every day. <laughs> but you see, even if you eat the same food every day, question is, now if I ask you, can you remember how it was like last Wednesday for lunch? Most of us cannot remember. But we may say, Sufu, that is a one-time event, you know. Yeah? One-time event, of course I cannot remember. Let me ask another question. Can you remember how it was like this morning? Not last Wednesday. This morning when you were brushing your teeth. Again, I've been asking this question for the past seven to eight years. Most people cannot remember, you know. 
For that matter, can you remember any of the morning when you were brushing your teeth? Vaguely, we can remember. But mostly, we can't, cannot remember the specifics. And yet, that one day, you to baby or the one day you propose or someone proposed to you, the one day something good or bad happened, you can remember until today. Our memory is so interesting, you know. Yeah, our memory is so interesting. Why is there this disparity? Because when something that is pleasant happening to us, we have a strong impression. When something that is unpleasant, we also have a strong impression. Brushing your teeth, unless you poke yourself, uh, then you can remember. Otherwise, it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant. We are oblivious to it. We don't pay attention to it. And so, throughout our whole life, most of the time, we cannot remember. So I ask people, why worry about the past life, or for that matter, future life? You know? Yeah, take care of your present. So in some ways, I agree, you know. Yeah. But agreeing to take care of your present, it's important to recognize that our present shapes our future. Just as some time back you saw the poster and decided to come for this talk, and now you're reborn here. In a short while, our lifespan in this classroom will come to an end. And all of us will enter Parinibbana. <laughs> and we will expire from this place. But no, we didn't enter Parinibbana because we still cling on to this world. So we appear somewhere else. I hope today's session uh, has uh, given us some food for thought. Yeah? Uh, keep the questions going. Okay? Uh, if you all have further questions, uh, you can send to the brothers and sisters. They will send it to me. I'll be happy to uh, address them. Okay? Uh, remember, uh, all the things we learn in Dharma classes, yeah, I, today I gave some examples, yeah, observing our mind, observing our surrounding, observing the contact, observing the four great elements, and for a start. Yeah, the Buddha gave teachings for 45 years, uh, how to cover everything. Okay, uh, so uh, we should do the dedication now. Oh, you have four questions. Oh, oh just now when she, she, she like that, like that, I thought four minutes left. <laughs> okay, yes, yes, four questions, right? Okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's hear the questions. I see how much I can answer. Okay, first question is can define equanimity? Uh. Second question is this is a confession. One of the three things that I wrote down was being tired easily and having tensional headache. Oh. So throughout the past two hours, I was struggling to absorb as best as I can ah. and trying to stay awake, but kind of failed along the way. As such, I feel stressed by all this happening and I legit cannot find peace in the fact that the suffering of tiredness is pulling me back from learning the Dharma. How ah? Uh? Oh. Oh. How ah? Uh? The third question, Sufu, sometimes I have urged to chu renunciation. Oh. 
but still bind by family, commitments, etc. Can you share your inspirational to choose this path by able to renounce everything? What preparation is required to decide for this path? Ah. The last question. Venerable, after learning the Dharma, I feel like I want to avoid or stay away from people who have qualms about breaking the five precepts, including parents, boss and colleagues. Why do I feel this way? I'm conflicted, especially when it applies to my father. Mm. So, um, <clears throat> okay, so we have four questions. Uh, let me just flag out the question that I will not be covering. Uh, and that is the urge to ordain. <laughs> uh, not that I'm, you know, secretive or what, but this, you know, I'm very loso, you know, I need another Dharma talk to cover. <laughs> yeah, because there's a lot of things to, that we can touch on. Uh, very quickly, fatigue. Mm. So, uh, from the question, we hear that the person, a few things are, first thing, suffering from fatigue. Second thing, wish to learn Dharma. Hmm. So there's a negative part and then there's a positive part. Uh, but how are? <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's something crucial that is mentioned in this question which is I think applicable to many of us in other areas. Which is when we encounter a problem we have one problem. Then we get upset with the problem. We get upset with the circumstances. We get stressed over it. Then now we have two problems. Congratulations, you have created something out of nothing. <laughs> yeah. So the Buddha gave us th this wonderful teaching called the two darts, the two arrows. Yeah. So the gist of it is, imagine if a person is shot with the first arrow, what must the person do? Pull out the first arrow. Don't, don't give yourself a second arrow. Yeah. What is the second arrow? our emotional response, our frustration with the first arrow. Mm. Sometimes, and it's not just this fatigue when we attend Dharma class. When we meditate, sometimes good sitting, so-called good sitting. Uh. Sometimes, uh, 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 <laughs> yeah. sometimes we're not sleepy, then our leg is painful. When leg is not painful, uh, body is not sleepy, then uh, mind a lot of thoughts. Yeah. Then what happened? We get upset. We get frustrated with ourselves. Yeah, like, why like that? Yeah. So, ayah. last time there was a, a Bhante who, who gave this advice. Have compassion for yourself. Cultivation takes time. Yeah. If you are tired because of Various conditions. Well, the question I ask people is, does getting frustrated make you untired? No, right? If getting frustrated make you untired, okay lah. You know, quite worthwhile lah. Yeah. It's just like sometimes when something happens, then people get upset. So I ask them, will getting upset solve the problem? I always ask yourself, 
Whatever response you want to give, it's okay. But does it solve the problem? If it doesn't solve the problem, does it create more problem? If it does, then weigh, weigh it yourself. But one tip, you have to do this reflection before the problem arises. If you don't do it before it arises, by the time it happens, our habitual tendency, we just fall for it. Yeah. So, uh, equanimity, uh, this is also a large topic. Uh, in a way, we can use what we have done earlier. Just now, when you touch the table, yeah, was it pleasant? Was it, was it unpleasant? Was it painful? Or not painful? Yeah. It's neither painful nor pleasant, isn't it? Yeah. So actually, throughout our day, as far as physical sensation is concerned, we are experiencing a lot of neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Yeah. So, but this is actually not equanimity. I want to highlight this. Yeah. Many times we think this is equanimity. Now because this sensation, we are not aware of it. Equanimity is to be able to observe painful sensation and pleasant sensation and neither pleasant nor painful yeah? and to see an underlying layer that is common. Uh, this is using wisdom. Okay? There are a few ways to arrive at equanimity. One way is using very quickly jhana. Yeah. You attain third jhana and above, equanimity arises. Another way is through wisdom. Yeah. Wisdom path is to observe, instead of observing the temporal fluctuation yeah, of existence, to abide in the underlying universal characteristics. You look around, oh, there's man, there's woman, there's young and old. But underlying all our existence is anicca, dukkha, anatta. Yeah? Uh, if you were to observe this very clearly, even when you are in the train station, yeah, even when you are in the center with a lot of noise, within the noise, you observe the, uh, the universal characteristics. Then, quiet and not quiet, you can be equanimous. Understand? Yeah. So, it is to go and observe the common feature. In Chinese, we call it 共相跟别相. Yeah, actually, there's also this usage even the uh, Nikaya itself. Yeah. The trouble is we are usually used to observing the, the temporal feature, uh, not the universal feature. Okay? Uh, very quickly, just touch on the last one. Uh. When we learn the Dharma, uh, sometimes we may feel eh, we don't connect so well with people around us. Do you feel that way? Yeah. Many years ago, maybe about 10, 10 11 years ago, uh, I was conducting the Heart Sutra. On the third lesson, one of the students came up to me. He said, he said Sifu, after doing the contemplation and doing, going through the teachings, I find myself becoming aloof, you know, distant from people around me. Yeah. The things that they are interested in, or I used to be interested, yeah, I, I don't find so much interest. Hmm. 
How many of you think that this is the correct path? How many of you don't think this is the correct path? Huh? One more choice. One more choice. Uh, what is the, another choice? Neither. Neither. Uh, what do you all think? Sometimes if you encounter someone who feels this way, we may sometimes feel a bit like, eh, how come so strange? Huh? Yeah. Or maybe we experience that and we may find ourselves, eh, what, how come so strange? Actually, there's nothing strange. Yeah. What is strange is why most people are still interested in the worldly things. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, because most people are going in that direction, then you go in that direction, then you seem strange. Uh, this is why it's strange. Yeah. But actually, nothing strange. So if you apply the Dharma inwardly yeah, uh, to overcome the defilements, then this is quite the natural progression. Yeah. Uh, there's uh, the different stages, uh, revulsion, then uh, distancing, then renunciation, and ultimately uh, dispassion. And then you are quite close to enlightenment, you know. Yeah. Mm, not bad, not bad. <laughs> have hope, have hope. Uh. Uh, so don't worry. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that learning Dharma is just making us become like robot. I am enlightened. I don't know what I'm drinking. <laughs> no. If you apply Dharma towards ourselves, you become released. But I want to give you all a challenge. Apply and turn your wisdom outwards. Don't turn defilements outwards. Uh. Turn defilement outwards. Whoa, like that wrong, like that wrong. Turn your wisdom outwards. And do this consideration. With this human life, with the compassion of Bhante, setting up Mangala Vihara, I have come into contact with the Dharma. In various ways, I have improved, I have changed, and I have released myself from different types of suffering. Now, if you turn yourself and look outwards, and you consider, ah, there are people around me who are still unaware of this good Dharma. And they are still pursuing. And in their pursuit, they put in a lot of time, effort and resources. Sometimes they get what they want, sometimes they don't even get it. And even when they get it, in due time, they lose it. Or they don't find satisfaction in it. And that's why they continue to struggle and keep the GDP up. <laughs> then you consider, ah, how wonderful if they can also come into contact with the Dharma. If you were to do this reflection, then it gives rise to compassion. Ah. Dharma doesn't mean that it becomes dry and then we become disconnected. Oh, yeah. uh, don't come and disturb me. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at the Arahants in the Buddha's time, they also spend time alone. Yeah. The Buddha described them like the rhinoceros, yeah, alone. But the, the, the monks, they, also, they are also very helpful to people who they encounter. Isn't it? Yeah. In, in particular, the chief disciples. Yeah. They are known to serve the community, both lay and monastics. Yeah. So, 
bring the Dharma back. Don't leave it in Mangala Vihara. Put our palms together. Etavata chaham hehi sambatam punya sampadam sabe deva anumodantu saba sampati sidiya etavata chaham hehi sambatam Punya sampadam sabe buta anumodanto saba sampati sidiya etavata chaham hehi sambatam punya sampadam Sabe sata anumodanto saba sampati sidiya sadu 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 Till we meet again, may be guided and protected by the Buddha, Dharma and the Sangha. Can we say it three times sadu to Sufu? Ah, uh, uh.